Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. Uh, wow, what a show we have for you today. And I'm mostly giving you that wow because of this fire starter that I've created. Uh, it's going to be awesome, I think, if I pull it off here. I think you're going to enjoy it. I want you to immediately start pounding that like button if you're watching over YouTube. Uh, I want you to react uh, to this fire starter in the comments section. I want to know your thoughts on this fire starter. If you're uh, listening over uh, Apple, you got to give me that five star review. And I want you in the comments asking questions that we'll hopefully use on the show at some point, but also leaving a comment about this particular episode. It is important. I want you to call your friends. Uh, particularly your male friends, and tell them, hey, uh, stop what you're doing. Come watch this show. Come listen to this show. It's important what we're going to cover today. And then after I do my fire starter, we're going to bring Steve Kim in. He'll fan some flames. But we'll also talk about Deion Sanders and what's going on with him in, at Florida State and him basically saying he's not a Florida State alum. Uh, we'll talk about uh, a topic I'm really interested in. I'm going to do a Mia Culpa today. I I'm going to do a Mia Culpa on Stephon Diggs, the Buffalo uh, Bills wide receiver who's had a little friction this offseason and ever since last year's playoff game. I, I think I know I came with the wrong take uh, early week or two ago. I'm going to correct that. I'm going to do a Mia Copa. You don't want to miss that. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, Skip Bayless and what's going on with him and the cast they put around him. We're going to follow up. Dan Levitard had some comments that similar to what I believe is, is transpiring with uh, Skip Bayless and Undisputed on FS1. So we'll do all that with Steve Kim. Uh, but first, uh, let me, you know what? This fire starter is so good. I want to open up some room for it. Uh, by first taking care of one of our great partners and sponsors here. Naturally, it's clean. You guys have heard me talk about Naturally, it's clean. You guys have heard me talk about Wynn Fisher, who founded Naturally, it's clean. If you're tired of all the cleaning products you use around the house, always smelling like nasty chemicals, would you rather be using something that not only smelled better, but was made out of natural products that you could trust? If you would, I recommend you check out Naturally It's Clean. Their products are made with hospital-grade cleaning solutions that are going to smell great every time. For instance, Bob Vila says that Naturally It's Clean has the most eco-friendly carpet stain remover on the market today. That's Bob Vila. You can take what he says to the bank. I personally love Naturally It's Clean. My mom loves Naturally It's Clean. Tiffany, my assistant here, she loves Naturally It's Clean. Their Essential Starter Kit, which features four of the most popular products, is one of their top-selling items, and you can get it 15% off 
for a limited time when you go to naturallyitsclean.com slash fearless. These products are manufactured right here in the US of A. They support your conservative values on top of everything. They offer free two-day shipping. Please check them out today and get your Jason's Essential Starter Kit by going to naturallyitsclean.com slash fearless. That's naturallyitsclean.com slash fearless. You guys have heard me talk about Wynn Fisher in the past and this product and just how I've personally connected, spent time with Wynn Fisher. You can support a company that supports us. Maybe the guys listening, you don't, you're not responsible for shopping and doing the cleaning around your house. Maybe you're a woman and you're not responsible for that either. Tell whoever is responsible, your wife, your girlfriend, your spouse, whoever, your, your maid, whatever, naturally it's clean. Support yourself and your values while you get your house clean and, and, and take care of yourself and make protect your children with eco-friendly products that clean your house. Couldn't make a better choice than Naturally It's Clean. It's important for us to support the, the businesses and the companies that support our values. Naturally It's Clean. Anyway, uh, let's get to this fire starter. Let's start uh, enjoying uh, today's show even more. This fire starter is amazing. It's about men not apologizing. All right, so uh, the middle school assistant principal who attempted to bully 12-year-old Jaden Rodriguez over his backpack Gadsden flag suffers post-traumatic history dysphoria, a mental illness common among feminist and racial justice warriors. PTHD causes its female victims to believe anything that transpired in American history before the rise of the Me Too and Black Lives Matter movements is misogynistic and racist. PTHD in women is a superiority psychosis. Sufferers think they're the smartest, most virtuous people to ever inhabit the planet and that adoption of their worldview cures all forms of injustice. The mental disorder is pervasive throughout Hollywood, academia, and corporate media. Based on my evaluation of the exchange between the administrator, I think her name's Beth Danjuma and Jaden's mother, it appears Danjuma has late stage PTHD. She likely burns candles and uses a Ouija board to communicate with Joseph Stalin, Fidel Castro, Karl Marx, Margaret Sanger, and Susan B. Anthony. Let me clarify, earlier this week, Vanguard Charter School booted Rodriguez from class over a patch on his backpack. The administrator, explained to Jaden's mom that the Gadsden flag supported slavery. Take a listen. Do they know what the Gadsden flag is? That it's a historical flag. So there, um, the reason that they do not want the flag, the reason we do not want the flag that way, is due to its origins with the slavery and slave trade. That is what was um, that's the reasoning behind them. No, like... The Gadsden flag and the catchphrase, don't tread on me, actually originated during the Revolutionary War. It's a proud part of America's founding. You would think that an educator would know this. Instead, Jaden and his mom had to explain to Beth Danjuma. 
Years ago, before the onset of post-traumatic history dysphoria, Danjuma probably knew the origins of the flag. But over the last decade, as PTHD leaked from a New York Times laboratory and Ivy League institutions, America's entire history has been demonized. People like Danjuma have been programmed to believe everything from America's past is evil and a symbol of sexism and racism. You might think that women contract PTHD at a higher rate than men, but it's not true. Men are just as likely to suffer the disorder as women. The disease does, however, manifest itself differently in men than in women. As stated earlier, in women, PTHD causes a superiority psychosis. In men, it causes an inferiority complex. Men believe they have to apologize for everything that transpired before Hollywood executive Harvey Weinstein inspired the Me Too hashtag and Trayvon Martin sparked Black Lives Matter. PTHD triggers men to hate themselves, hate masculinity, and dedicate their lives to the emasculation of other men and the worship of women. The worldview of male PTHD sufferers is that men owe women an apology for the past, reparations, and a commitment to transition women into being more masculine. The PTHD worldview drives much of the insanity we see in sports. It's why William Leah Thomas was allowed to swim against women in the NCAA championships. It's why the NFL and NBA are going out of their way to install women on coaching staffs. It's why ESPN has placed a woman on the set of virtually every show. It's why President Joe Biden traded an international terrorist, the merchant of death, for Brittany Griner. It's why Megan Rapinoe and the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team were able to promote the lie that they were underpaid. It's why WNBA players believe they should be flown around on private planes. This morning, I read a story about the Nebraska women's volleyball team setting an attendance record for women's sports. More than 92,000 fans packed the school's football stadium on Wednesday to watch the Huskers play volleyball. It's a great story. Nebraskans deserve credit for supporting the program. It's an incredible accomplishment. But while admiring the achievement, I stumbled into another story about the Nebraska volleyball team. The Lincoln Star Journal published an article that revealed the Nebraska volleyball team is the lone women's program from a Power Six conference to turn a profit. Let me read directly from the story. The Journal Star reviewed more than 4,000 pages of NCAA financial records from the most recent fiscal year, July 1, 2021, through June 30th, 2022, and found that out of the 522 NCAA-sponsored women's athletics programs at the 53 public Power Six schools, only one program turned a profit, Nebraska Volleyball. One out of 522, that's 0.19%. The newspaper reported, 
the only other women's sports team at a public university that came close to breaking even, even was the Illinois women's basketball team. It reported a loss of $43,000 and $43,156. Stanford, a private school whose financial records are more difficult to fact check, reported that its women's basketball team's expenses were exactly equal to the revenue generated. $8 million, $8,049,000. Exactly. What an amazing coincidence. The newspaper reported that the Ole Miss women's basketball team lost $7.7 million. $7.7 million. This is donor-funded reparations fueled by post-traumatic history dysphoria. Americans believe we owe it to women to dump millions upon billions of dollars into women's sports with no expectation of any of them ever turning a profit. Now look, I I I'm pro-women's sports. I really am. They're important. We shouldn't fund them, however, at the same level as men's sports. The interest doesn't justify the expense. We're paying coaches like Don Staley nearly $3 million a year while she leads a program that likely loses several million dollars a year. All because of the delusional belief that in the 1700s and 1800s, men stopped women from entering the workforce, playing organized sports, and dying in wars? The technological advances of the last 100 years created the myth that women were denied freedom, rights, and autonomy in the 17 and 1800s. Think about this, before DoorDash, trains, planes, and automobiles, and jobs that could be executed on laptops, women had no real problem with traditional roles. Before indoor plumbing, they didn't wanna waste time getting sweaty playing leisure sports. They could break a sweat doing the hard work required to keep a house clean before vacuums. While men hunted food, farmed, and died in wars. The demonization of the past is a grift. It legitimizes reparations. It provokes alleged educators to believe any symbol originated before last week was a byproduct of slavery and systemic racism. The cure for post-traumatic history dysphoria is for men to quit apologizing for being men. That's my fire starter. Now I want to take a moment or two to expound on my fire starter. Because this is a constant reoccurring theme on this show. Men have been bullied into apologizing for the past. They've created this uh, myth or this false reality that, oh my God, what you men did, what you denied us in the 17 and 1800s and all throughout history, we wanted to be on the front lines of the Civil War. We wanted to be out uh, on horseback hunting food, 
with muskets and bayonets. We, we wanted all of that. Oh, man, George Washington out there fighting the Revolutionary War. My God, it should have been Betsy Ross. It was all that sexism that kept us in the house. It was all that sexism in the 1900s. As you guys were out building skyscrapers and being roughnecks and falling to your death and destruction, we wanted to do that. And you prevented us. These are the lies that have been normalized and people believe and everybody, nearly every man, because I'm telling you, I used to think this way. Oh, man, we owe them something. We did them wrong. That mentality, that reparations mentality has to go away. And the only way it will go away is if men snap out of it and quit apologizing for being men. And this is across the board. I'm to America has to quit apologizing for anything that happened in the 17 and 1800s. And I'm talking about all of it, including slavery. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. We didn't do it. All these atrocities that we all want to wag our finger at now and act like we're above that. And everybody that's been born in the last 20, 30, 40 years, are, we're all superior to George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin. Let's cut it out. <laughs> Get into the reality. Take, take the racial justice warriors of today and all these people that are perfectly comfortable with anti-white racism. All the people that are really comfortable never say a word about the kind of rampant, in your face, anti-white racism that we see all across social media, we see playing out everywhere. Do you think they would be against slavery of white people? Do you think they would fight in a civil war and sacrifice their life for the freedom of white people, their fellow man? All these people that think they're better than all the people in the past. Are they really? I think not. And, and, and I've made the point before, but I'm just going to hammer it again. All these people that, oh, we're the superior age and superior society. We're murdering babies in the womb and, and convulsing and protesting in the streets that, oh, how dare you? My body, my choice. I get to kill a baby whenever I want. It's my body. We think these are the superior people? Really? Beth Danjuma? Megan Rapino? They all are sick with the same mental illness, post-traumatic history dysphoria. They've created some 
false reality and, and, and they're using it to enrich themselves and to trick men into simping and feeling sorry and apologize for being men. And we wonder why children, little boys, are all, there's this pandemic of little boys wanting to be little girls. We wonder why William Thomas, William Leah Thomas wants to be a woman. The whole culture and the whole society says men are the worst thing on the planet. And it's just not true. Are we flawed? Absolutely. Have we made mistakes? Absolutely. Are we fallen? Yes. No different than women. And perhaps not as fallen as women. We were given marching orders by God to be leaders and to have dominion over the earth. Don't apologize for that. Tell that secular, atheist, feminist, Nazi, take it up with God. It ain't my fault. Who was it? Mystical, the rapper? I'm going to, you know what? That's fun. <laughs> I'm going to have some, I'm going to have somebody work on a, on a rewrite of Mysticals, It Ain't My Fault, and have it be an anthem for men. It ain't my fault. I like you just the way you are. I, 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 I mean, I love everything about women. Except this new attitude and this whole grift they're pulling off. That we owe them something for, for things we had played no part in. Would, would Jason Whitlock love to have had DoorDash in the 1800s? Yes, but they didn't have that. And so men had to go out and hunt and gather and, and do all of that. And, 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 and the value of a child w was astronomical because they could help you survive in that time. We don't value life at the same way they valued it then. Because we've moved so far away from God. And because we're stupid and we're not superior to the people in the past. You'll never, again, this woman, Beth Danjuma, the, the, the middle school principal, she doesn't even know she has this affliction, this disorder. She, she trust me, she feels stupid because they've had to backpedal and, and let the kid keep the don't tread on me patch. They had to explain to her, like, nah, this ain't slavery. This is the uh, Revolutionary War. The, the governor of Colorado's come out and defended the kid. She's had to backtrack. She, she doesn't know what drove her to make that mistake. This whole pervasive thought that anything that happened last week or anything that happened in the 1700s, 1800s, anything that happened before this Me Too, Black Lives Matter era, well, that's all racism. And so, oh my God, that, that started in the 1700s. It must be racist. Everything, if Ben Franklin farted in the 1700s, she'd attributed to racism. And 
We've all been rigged that way. (laughs) It's. You can't build a sustainable future. If if everybody hates the foundation you're standing on. And, and, and there, there's some Marxists out there that want us to hate the foundation we're standing on. Their plan is going exactly as planned. It's going off flawlessly. Let's convince these people that the foundation they're standing on is toxic and poisonous and evil and wicked and must be disavowed. And so whoever this assistant principal is, educated at some little institution that that feeds her all this this negative narrative on America. And oh my God, that, that, that happened before Hillary Clinton came to power. That happened before Kamala came to power. That, that happened before Stacey Abrams ever knew what a McDonald's drive through window was. It must be sexist. It must be racist. I'm telling you guys, quit apologizing. That's our solution. That's the cure. That's the antidote to this time that we're living in. Quit thinking a better man is more feminine. Quit thinking that a better man, he's more in touch with his emotions. He'll share his emotions. He's not afraid. He's not ashamed of his emotions. And and I'm not opposed to men sharing their emotions with the appropriate people. But getting on TV and acting like a little woman and crying, acting like a little girl and crying and, uh, oh, my God, this I'm so sensitive. They said X, Y and Z. Share that with your wife or your therapist. The rest of it, you swallow and don't let the world see it because we're men and we're leaders and we're supposed to set a tone for the entire country. We're supposed to be leaders. So uh, I'll bring on uh, my guy, Steve Kim, and we'll talk about the volleyball and the Nebraska and the whole sports angle on this and all the money we're, 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 we're dumping into women's sports to make them more masculine, to make them more like men, to make them more athletic, to make them leaders. It's all a, I don't want to say it's all a waste, but... The millions upon billions of dollars is being thrown away on this when the interest just isn't there. Trying to convert women into men. They don't play sports with the same level of passion or interest that we do. That's never going to change. They weren't meant for that. It disrupts their reproductive system. Again, I'm not anti-women's sports, but all this investment in women's sports under the false pretense that it's going to turn out just like it did for men, and if we just dump more money into it, eventually it's all going to be profitable, and everybody's going to be the Nebraska volleyball team. 
It's not going to happen. We're wired differently. We're created differently by God. Quit apologizing. Don't be ashamed of who you are. And anybody that's got a problem with you, they're nuts. They have a mental disorder. Uh, before I get to Steve Kim, uh, you must start taking care of your liver right now more than ever. Why? Because the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver were three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We throw everything at our livers, cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, cigarettes. That's why so many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. For decades now, your liver helped you with over 500 key functions every day. It's time you help your liver. There is a solution, Liver Health Formula an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver, manufactured right here in the U.S. of A. and approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. That's try Liver Health Formula by going to GetLiverHelp.com dot com slash Jason and claim your free bonus gift. That's getliverhelp.com slash Jason. You guys have heard me tell you before, I was using this stuff long before they were a sponsor. It's helped me, I mean, seriously, look at me right now. Look how good I look. I mean, don't you wanna look this good? Or better, uh, get liver help. All right, uh, also, uh, make sure you tune in next week for our fearless cookout, Fun Slinger edition. We will be joined by Brett Favre, Warren Sapp, Seth Joyner, and Sage Steele. Our fearless contributor, Steve Kim and TJ Moe, will also be there live Thursday, September 7th at 4 p.m. Central Time on YouTube and Blaze TV. You can also attend the live taping, so get your ticket before they're run out at FearlessArmyTickets.com. FearlessArmyTickets.com. Steve Kim, Brian Cosell, it's my obligation or hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom. I said we need to stop aid programs that incentivize single mothers by paying them more when they don't have a man in the house than when they do have a man in the house who doesn't earn as much money as the federal aid would have. Right, they're marrying Uncle Sam instead of marrying the man who should have been the father, who was the father of their children and should have been a father in the house. So that means I don't blame individual mothers who are responding to economic incentives created for them by the federal government. I blame the federal government that created those toxic incentives. And I say this as somebody who I didn't grow up in money, by the way. Right, my parents came to this money with no money in their pocket, but I did have the ultimate privilege. I had a head start. It was two parents in the house with a focus on education. And instilling in us in a faith in God. But if we're drawing up the, the plan from a clean slate, I certainly would wish for more, country, more kids in this country to be able to grow up in stable two-parent households. And I think the federal government should stop incentivizing the opposite. All right, welcome back. 
Time for some Korean co-sell. Steve Kim joining me from Los Angeles. Steve, everybody's celebrating, and deservedly so, uh, the Nebraska volleyball team sets an attendance record. It's an impressive feat, 92,000 people. Hats off to them. Uh, leave it to someone like me to turn this into what some people will call a negative story, but, but, but I am. I read this story. Nebraska... Nebraska's volleyball team is the only women's team in any sport uh, that's turning a profit at a major Power Five university, public school. And, and again, Stanford is a private school. It's cooked the books and, and magically spends exactly how much money they generate. And so, you know, they're claiming they break even. I don't buy it. Schools like Ole Miss losing $7 million on their women's basketball team, jet setting all over the country, playing an SEC schedule. They're just burning money on fire, uh, chasing after trying to make women just as athletic or just as interested or just as entertaining in athletic in, in sports as men. It, it, it's I, I found this story in the Lincoln Journal Star, fascinating, and it, and it speaks to the grift that women have pulled off in convincing men that we owe them something, and I just say we don't. You know, when I got the email over our rundown today and I saw Nebraska, I thought we were talking Matt Rule and Jeff Sims, and I'm like, with this, but you're right. Title IX has become the biggest welfare scam in sports. And even with Nebraska, I think it's a bit of an anomaly. That university in that city of Omaha and the whole state, they rally around anything Cornhuskers. I, I've been to Cornhusker games. I went to the 2002 Rose Bowl. Fine people, greatest fans in the world. 2014, Miami played there. And they love anything Nebraska. And to put this into a boxing perspective, wherever Bud Crawford fights, whether it's in Omaha, New York, or Las Vegas, a large contingent of the Cornhusker State show up. So this does not surprise me, to be honest with you. They are incredibly loyal to the Big Red. But to your overall point, there's, there's no doubt about it, that all these sports, and th this is what has been unfair about college football getting the rap for what is wrong with college sports and the whole industry of it. Jason, without college football and to a lesser degree basketball, none of these other sports, men or women, would be able to exist. That is the bottom line. So let's be very thankful. And as a university, make sure you're the type of school that never embarrasses your football program because let's have our priorities straight. Now, second of all, want to get to Stanford cooking the books. They don't even get people to show up to their football game. That right there tells me there is some Enron-like bookkeeping going over there on at the farm. You know what I find interesting as well is like why is the lincoln journal star doing this level of research hats off to them they're doing actual journalism but the new york times the washington post the the, the athletic the the the, the, the oh. these espn the, these major uh news outlets with all kinds of resources how come we've never seen a story about the amount of money being lost in women's sports 
For, I mean, could you? I would love. It's not in this Lincoln story. I would love to know how much money South Carolina loses on its women's basketball team. Love, because Don stays over there making three million a year, and she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I think fans would love to know how much money's being blown and thrown at that sport. And hats off to them. I'm glad they're successful, but at the price they're paying, who? Uh, you get what you pay for, and they're paying a lot, and so they're getting what they're supposed to get. But I just don't understand why other outlets are avoiding these I types of I know why. inconvenient truths. They're not allowed to. Uh, the bottom line, if you are going to demonize college sports, 99% of your coverage has to be about the industry of college football and how it's evil in every single way, from the coach's salary now to the NIL – to the injuries and whatever other toll that this game takes. You can do that. But when it comes to going out there and actually doing some real research and just looking at hardened facts about the fiscal bottom line that exists with most college sports, men and women that do not involve football or do not have the TV contracts that the conferences gain, in large part, let's face it, because of football, you're not allowed – you're just not allowed to report on it. You get called misogynistic. The editors who are in place, they probably won't even allow those stories. So that's why. That, that, that's really why they're not. They're, I found this out at ESPN. You're actually not allowed to tell the most blunt truth. You just are not allowed to. Steve, you just drove me to another interesting point that I may write a follow-up piece on. This whole demonization of football while it's paying for all these welfare sports that are helping women and, you know, guys, too, in these welfare sports. Again, we should be trying to protect football and, and, and celebrating football for the benefits it provides everyone else. Instead, they're trying to tear down football, and in that process, they're going to end up tearing down these women's sports and, and welfare sports that everybody allegedly loves. You know what's interesting, Jason? It's so funny we're talking about this. Last night on my YouTube feed, uh, it was part four of the, like, the Inside Nebraska training camp with Matt Rule. And I guess they, the, their training camp ended last week, and now they have these new opulent facilities. I mean, these training rooms with the swimming pools. They look like five-star resort spas. And the locker rooms have, like, video boards and TVs. I, I would never leave. If I was a football player, I would just take all my classes online on my laptop and never leave the football facility. Now, there's a lot of people out there that will look at that and say, oh, my God, look at this. Look at the tail wagging the dog. Where are our priorities? How can you put so much in the football and I'm thinking to myself, okay, but on the flip side, based on what we're talking about, if it's going to fund every other athletic team at your school, men and women, I would ask, how can you not? Either you're in that arms race of college football, which then can benefit every other facet of your university, including admissions, because it has been shown that when you have a good football team that's on television winning a lot, the, the amount of applicants actually rises. That has been proven for about 25, 30 years. Miami went through that in the 80s. It went from Suntan U 
to a school that a lot of people wanted to go to. Alabama's going through it now. So when people say, how much does football matter? I've always said this. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that important. Oh, but it matters. It matters to your business as a university. Steve, I'm, I'm, I apologize to the audience uh, for doing this, but I'm going to pat me and you on the back for oh, having this discussion. <laughs> for having this discussion because nobody else, there's no other place in, in the media where you can get this type of conversation that gets at the truth and puts you ahead of the conversation. You won't see this on ESPN or Fox Sports. You won't see it anywhere but here, but this is the truth. I want to move on. Uh, to a topic I can't wait uh, to get your take on. I, I, I think I'll have some interesting things to say here as well. Deion Sanders mm-hmm. is uh, <laughs> claiming mm. he's not a Seminole. Uh, th- this is fascinating. Yeah. You know, he's not doing the tomahawk chop. Yeah. He's, he's, oh. uh, he, oh. he, he made his name. Let, let's watch Deion Sanders say that he's an HBCU grad. Hurricanes like myself, yeah. and you're a knoll, my friend. No, 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 no. Actually, do you know where I graduated from? Yeah. Who said that? You know everything. She didn't know that. They didn't know that. Tell them again. Where did I graduate? I graduated from HBCU. So I'm a who? You're still a knoll. No, I'm a who? I thought it's where you graduated from, isn't it? That. Why you keep calling me that? And it goes where I graduated from. I'm, I'm a HBCU grad. Okay. So, Danny Cannell, another Seminole, put out a tweet. <laughs> he was upset, fired up about it. Says, you know, it's disrespect. I, I do find it a tad bit disrespectful, and I think it's born out of Dion would prefer to be the head coach at Florida State than Colorado, and he's bitter about that. And so he's doing it with a smile and he's joking and all that, but he's taking a shot at Florida State because he'd prefer to be their head coach and feels like he's owed that job and instead he had to go to Colorado. Jason, there's no doubt that when Dion began this journey as a coach, he probably felt disrespected that maybe the Florida State administration just kind of dismissed him. And they actually said, look, you don't, have a, you've never, you don't have a lot of experience. Go out and find your way. And maybe he felt as the greatest Seminole ever, in my view. I, when I think of Florida State Seminole football, I think of two men, Bobby Bowden and Primetime. But let's be honest about this. Yeah, he technically, not technically, he did graduate from another university. But when you sell the Coach Prime package, that brand, and you see him high-stepping, scoring touchdowns, intercepting balls over Andre Risen. Um, all of that's in a Florida State uniform. That's all garnet and gold. I mean, let, let's just be honest. Look, I think Ray Lewis actually got his degree from Maryland. Does that make him a Terrapin? To us football fans, he's a Miami Hurricane. That's where he played from 1993 to 1995. I mean, football fans care about where you played school, played football. Where you did school and where you got your diploma, yeah, it doesn't matter to us. It really doesn't. But but is Dion being a little bit petty? I think he is. Football has been great. Oh, I think he's being. Yeah, uh, I mean, if I'm if I'm Bobby Bowden, I'm rolling over in my grave saying, "Dad, gummit, Dad, gummit, you're seminal. Come on, this is ridiculous." 
And 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 that's this is the program he paid. Let's put it this way. When you do montages of Deion Sanders, any network, basically when you're talking about his college career, it's that uniform he's wearing. I have never actually seen a film footage or reel of him picking up his diploma from that other school. Let's be honest about it. Okay. Um, he got into the College Football Hall of Fame, I believe, as a Florida State Seminole. And this is sad, even though there's with a hated school up north. When I think of the Mount Rushmore of Florida State football, he's number one. And if you want to put Bobby Bowden in as a coach, and then three and four, I think of like who? Charlie Ward, Warwick Dunn, Walter Jones, Chris Wanky, Peter Warwick. But Dion is their Babe Ruth. He's their guy. And for him to say that as a fan... And is like guys like Danny Cannell, yes, it bothers me. Look, I saw some footage from the Colorado YouTube channel that Dion's doing all this backstage footage. I saw Warren Sapp and Michael Irvin speak to the Buffaloes, which is fine. They were wearing Buffalo gear. That did not sit right with me. No, I don't care. You could just wear neutral stuff. No, no, you could wear neutral stuff. But for them not to wear Michael Irvin, yes, Michael Irvin and Warren Sapp put on Buffalo stuff. I wanted to vomit. I wanted to vomit, and I get it. They're on the campus. They're speaking to the team. You could wear neutral branding. You could wear just black stuff. But to see like the Colorado Buffalo on their chest and the hat, I was like, no, no, you don't wear anything but the U, green and orange. Uh, that, that, that's a breach. I'm going to have to address this with Warren Sapp next week. I am not happy with the quarterback killer. No. No, I, he broke code. Well, he broke code. We, 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 I'm going to – and, dude, I'm telling you, I like Dion. I think his heart's in the right place uh, for the most part. But again, when you're that type of superstar athlete, and, and it starts when you're very young, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. People start catering to you, catering to you, catering to you. And the next thing you know, you just expect to be catered to. And so part of me, when I hear this, this little tiny pot shot at Florida State, I know he can say, hey, I'm halfway joking or whatever. But, but there's an entitlement that I think yeah. he feels, like Florida State owes him. And so th- this goes back to... Man, because here's what I think. Why, why has he got a degree from Talladega or whatever? He, what do you say, Talladega State or whatever? So I, I'm sure that's part of his entitlement in terms of like, they gave me a degree. They let me take courses online or whatever he had to do. And maybe he's upset <clears throat> that Florida State wouldn't make it that easy or just give him a degree or whatever. I, I think that's part of the entitlement. I've seen many athletes. I've, I've seen my I've seen my Ball State peers sit around and think Ball State owes them something, and, and we didn't turn a profit, we didn't generate any money. But it's like Ball State owes them something, and and that's just not the case. I've spent a lot of time trying to tell people when you're on campus and an athlete, they owe you something. Once you graduate and you're done, you owe them something. And so I I, I say this in all seriousness, Steve, and I'm not trying to gloss myself. I'm just being factual. Ball State University at this point 
is very uncomfortable with me because of my values, because they don't fit the liberal values popular in academia. And so I went from being a celebrated alum that everybody was comfortable with, and they certainly were comfortable taking any money that I sent them and any support and any piece of equipment that I bought, they're very comfortable. To now, now that things have turned hyper politically partisan and that you know I, I'm known as a conservative or whatever, school's very uncomfortable. They put me in the Journalism Hall of Fame in the middle of COVID so that they could have the event <laughs> online okay. and so I wouldn't be on campus oh. now I'm telling when it comes to journalists at Ball State or it comes to media figures it's pretty much me and David Letterman but let's put Whitlock in the Hall of Fame during COVID during the pandemic so we don't get contaminated by him coming on campus and being celebrated it's Jason. and so I say all that to say, oh, I say all that to say, I don't care that Ball State does not treat me properly or with any sort of reverence. And I don't care. I'm going to continue to support Ball State. I'm going to continue to support those kids at Ball State. Unfortunately, I'm going to continue to give them money because I don't care. I owe Ball State. They invested in me at 18, a kid with not great grades, a 900 SAT. Uh, it was a nightmare for the coaches the first two years I was there. Uh, it, it's, so I, I owe Ball State and I'm gonna continue to pay that debt for the rest of my life. And some people would say, hey, he's a sucker and blah, blah. I've seen so many athletes feel like they don't owe their schools anything and I completely disagree with them. Continue. Look at you in that stance looking like Orlando Pace of the Mac. I look at that. But here's the thing, though, the hypocrisy of that. Every time you write a check, it's not returned to sender. They, they, they cash the doggone no. thing. And going back to yes. Dion real fast, two points. When people talk about, well, he graduated from there, right. But you know what's funny? If you go to Tallahassee or you go to Dope Campbell Stadium at any time, you'll probably see replica throwbacks of the number two jersey that say Sanders. Nobody that I know of would ever wear a replica cap and gown from whatever school he graduated from. The branding and identification is with Florida State University. Second of all, so let's say it doesn't work out for Mike Norvell, who's doing an excellent job. Florida State's gonna be really good this year. It pains me to say it, that's a good squad. If their quarterback stays healthy, they're gonna win a lot of games. They're gonna make a really good run. But let's say it doesn't work out for Norvell in three, four years. And all of a sudden there's an opening. And Dion's looking over going, oh! Well, wait a minute, though. You're not a Noel. So if you want that special treatment, now maybe he wins so much at Colorado, it doesn't matter. You let bygones be bygones. I'm, I'm realistic about this. But Dion has to understand, you cannot cross bridges that you burn. Yeah, he's, I, I think he feels like he's so talented and so successful and such a large brand, he can't burn uh, that bridge to Florida State. I think he feels like he's going to be so successful at Colorado that Florida State will be begging him to be their head coach. Uh, you know, I, 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 given the level of accomplishment and success Dion has, th there's a level of arrogance that, that goes along with that. 
and he's certainly drenched in it. And and but but I I, I just want to go back to if there's any athletes out here listening or just people, you don't even have to be an athlete. I'm telling you, the institutions and people that invested in you, I'm just sorry, you owe them. You, mm. you just do. And, and, and I, I go back to, you know, the church I grew up in, the high school I went to, Ball State University, my mother, my father who's passed, my brother, my sister, uh, the people I've talked about that helped me in my writing career, Bob Hamill, Andy Graham, uh, even the, the Charlotte Observer and all of that. And then the one area where I struggled, where people watching will say I struggled, is the Kansas City Star. Because I was frustrated with them and their management and, you know, I burnt a bridge with them, for sure. <laughs> and so maybe I'm a tiny bit hypocritical, but, I, you know, I, I don't have a grudge against the Kansas City Star. And, and so I, I just feel like there's debts owed, and, and, and most people just don't believe that. And, and, and they take the people that invested in them and the institutions that invested in them, they take them for granted and just move on. I... I I just don't respect it, and I think Dion's in error here. Yeah, and you talk about giving back. You know, Edron James, one of the best running backs ever from the U, he actually wrote a significant check to help the facilities. This is about seven, eight years ago. The running back room is actually named after him because he said, okay, we need renovations here at this place. Here's a check. I think it was like a quarter of a million or something. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock who was a nominal player at the U, no matter what he was, he was a backup. He had one play where Charlie Ward ran into him. He's written significant checks. What's interesting is um, the baseball field at the U, Mark Light Stadium. This is interesting. You know, Alex Rodriguez, I don't know if people know this, before he was the number one pick and maybe the greatest high school baseball player ever, him and Ken Griffey, according to the scouts, he was committed to the University of Miami at a Westminster High but never played there because he was drafted number one. He's actually given millions to the baseball program for a school he never went to. I mean, I know there's a lot of things written about A-Rod, and, and, and there's a million opinions. But when it comes to University of Miami baseball, A-Rod's <laughs> good with the school. <laughs> He's been very good to a school he never really officially attended. Uh, Steve, while we're on the topic, do you give to the univer to the U? Yeah, I, I am. Look, part of the Hurricane Club, also the Kane Collective that they're starting. I'm going to be signing up for that next week when I go to Miami. Look, I'm a fan. It's been good to me. It's It's been a great experience. I, I get season tickets. I buy tickets. You try to support the program the best way you know how. I'm a Subway alum. I, I'm just a crouching tiger from the suburbs of L.A. who fell in love with this renegade band from the 80s. And it's been a great experience getting to know a lot of those notorious hurricanes that, by the way, and you're talking about, does do players owe the university? I can tell you this. Most of the players that I've met from the 80s on that went through the system and complied and grew and got their degrees, whether they played in the NFL or not, I can honestly tell you, Jason, they've all done well in life. And there is a gratitude. There is an absolute gratitude. Yeah, so those guys have evolved. And Claude Jones, who was a uh, 
he won three national titles in his five years at the school. He lost four games. A really good friend of mine. He's a doctor now. He gave me one of the greatest lines ever because I did a story on him. And he said, I, I look back now at my age, Steve, and I will say this. The University of Miami took me in as a boy, and they helped turn me into a man. So you, you hear a lot of stories about guys being bitter about the system, and, and they place blame on everybody. But I, I will say this to every young athlete out there. If you do your part, and it's more than just about the sport, and you actually make an honest effort to get your education, to get to know people that are more than just the players and coaches, you will actually look back at that experience, and it will be rewarding. Steve, I'm going to move on to a topic I, I want to spend some time on, because uh, I'll be real interested in your reaction to what I'm about to go over here. So give me a few minutes as I, I, I break down this Mia culpa. Uh, and, and you know what? I should have asked these guys to uh, dig up my previous comments on Stefan Diggs. He, he's been, there's tension, discontent in Buffalo. People have been talking about it. Remember Stephen A. Smith said that uh, his sources have told him Stefan Diggs wants out of Buffalo. We talked about that. I've talked about it previously. And, and so I, I think last week at some point, uh, I, I, in part of, I believe Stefan Diggs wants out. And then part of my explanation is like, hey, man, the guy wants out because, you know, he wants to be in a better city. He, he feels like that, you know, the Bills aren't going to be able to compete with Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. And so he'd rather be in a, a different city in Dallas, maybe with his brother or some city that's easier uh, to for his social life and for strip clubs and all of that. And so it, it was me talking off the cuff, speculating. I want to apologize for that. I want to sit here and tell everybody dead wrong, dead, dead a wrong. That's me copying to a mistake. I want to tell you what I believe I know now or what, what I've learned uh, over the past week and, and, and I'm breaking a, a little bit of news here to some degree. Here's what I think is at the heart of Stefan Diggs' problem. Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, he don't got that dog in him. No. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Joe Burrow. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not committed to the game. He's not committed to the study, to the, to the level of effort that, that the real top-flight quarterbacks put into the game. Josh Allen survives on talent. And everybody in that organization knows it. And that has been at the heart of the frustration and tension uh, with Stefan Diggs and, and that organization as it relates to Josh Allen, the, the coaching staff from Sean McDermott on down, they cater to Josh Allen, they, they don't hold Josh Allen's feet to the fire, they let him mail it in on talent, and I don't halfway blame Stefan Diggs for looking around. They lose that Embarrassing playoff game to the Cincinnati Bengals, 27 to 10. You look across and you think about Joe Burrow 
and, and the commitment to the game that Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and the standard Tom Brady set, and you're playing with a super talented guy who's not as committed as the other top flight quarterbacks, and it shows up in that playoff game, he's not as prepared, and then frustration boils over when Stefan Diggs feels like he's not targeted enough in that playoff loss, feels like Josh Allen not as prepared as he should be uh, for a playoff game, an important game like that. That's what's at the heart of this whole situation with Stefan Diggs and the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, I'm ready to go. not I'm as here. committed, not as committed as he needs to be to the Buffalo Bills and winning in that league. And, and it's, I don't blame Stefan Diggs. So I, I'm going to have to backtrack. This isn't about, uh, not that Stefan Diggs is perfect. He's not perfect. He's a wide receiver. Quarterbacks are held to a different standard. Quarterbacks have to set a tone and be the hardest workers on a team. Josh Allen ain't that. I don't blame Stefan Diggs. From what I understand, they've worked things out for the moment, that they're good with each other right now for the moment. But this thing, if this season doesn't get off to a good start, this thing's going to spiral out of control again. And, and basically, everybody in that locker room knows who the bad guy is, knows who the guy is that's not putting in the work, and it's Josh Allen. Whitlock, I, I, I don't even know who you are anymore. Really. Who got to you? Who got to you? I, I, don't, I don't get this. I, I, let me just start from the beginning. First of all, uh, Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming was this very raw prospect who threw in like the mid-50s. And people thought he was a project. Now he's an elite quarterback. So you're telling me he does not put in the work, even though he's gone from a questionable prospect that many people thought was overdrafted. Okay, rawer than sushi, but now he's turned into filet mignon. Every year, this is what Josh Allen does: five thousand plus yards and around four touchdowns. You're telling me that he has not worked hard at his game at all, ever. Completely disagree. And the other thing is, he's a white guy. Taking me out of context. You're taking uh, me out of context, Steve. You're taking. I didn't say he's never worked hard. I said. He doesn't put in the level of work to the standard of a Tom Brady, a Joe Burrow, a Patrick Mahomes, these super elite quarterbacks that are out working overtime, organizing throwing sessions with their receivers during the offseason, putting in that extra work, being a true student of the game. That's not him, and everybody in that locker room knows it. Wow, so we've gone in two weeks. From Stephon Diggs wants out of Buffalo to, yeah, he wants to do more seven-on-seven seven drills in Buffalo. Wow, have you gone full circle. I, I mean, first of all, and then here's a, he's a white guy. Is he even allowed to have the dog in him? Is it possible as a white guy? So, I come on, who got to you? You saying Tom Brady ain't got no dog in him? Are Tom, you saying Tom people Brady. don't think Tom Brady's got dog in him? grinder. They, 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 he doesn't have the D-A-W-G thing. No, he doesn't. That does not apply to white guys generally. But anyway, um, Josh Allen works hard from what I have seen. You don't. How do you know? 
What, what, how, how do you know? How would you know? Well, who, because I'm not pulling it out of my rear end, Steve. So I'm telling you what I've learned. Oh, you've learned. You got sauces. Yeah. Wow. This is slander. This is slander. Uh, Stephon Diggs is who he is. There's a pattern here. I will, I will say this again. Josh Allen will have another big year. He is the face of that franchise. You're literally the I only one. I can't believe one how naive you sound. Oh, oh, no, I can't. No, I'm not I the only one saying it. I'm this. saying everybody oh. in that Buffalo locker room knows it. Steve, 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 Steve. Hey, man, I get that you don't seem to understand. Like, the NFL regular season is relatively easy. If you have talent, you can put up numbers in the regular season. The truth doesn't get told until the postseason. And the, the, the postseason and that level of competition generally goes to the guy who's most prepared. And that's not Josh Allen. He's super talented. And, and he's not the only super talented guy that struggles in the postseason. Lamar Jackson would be another one. I, I haven't heard anybody say Lamar doesn't put the work in, but I heard people say he struggles in the postseason. There's a reason why Josh Allen, in particular, you go look at that Bengals game, he struggled mightily, and people believe chickens came home to roost from his lack of preparation. So I, I don't, and I get the sense of humor, and I don't think you're taking a shot at me, but, but I just want to be clear. When I'm talking right now, this is old-school journalist Whitlock. I'm not pulling this out of my rear end. I'm telling you what I've learned. Okay, so that Bengal loss was a bad look for Josh Allen. I will not argue that. However, just the previous postseason, he was absolutely incredible in the last three minutes against Kansas City. And because his coach does not understand when you squib kick it, blew that game. So I don't, again, are we going, so your other words you're saying, regardless of the result, you're talking about the process. Okay, I get it. But I find it interesting that no one else is saying this. So I, this is going to be interesting to see how Josh Allen is covered, because this is now a story, him and Stephon Diggs. Okay, Th that whole dynamic is really, really central to how this team's going to do, because that window for the Buffalo Bills is closing. And if they don't have Vaughn Miller to close out games defensively, uh, this team could be broken up here. Okay, I get the sense everyone there gets one year to make this current group work. We shall see. Steve, I, I just want to stress one more time. This isn't Jason Whitlock, the entertainer, just talking out his rear end. If, if you, and, and I know you know this, and we're, we're being somewhat humorous, but go look at my history. I've broken many, many stories. Many, many stories. I don't do this haphazardly. I've been out in front... When I can remember the whole NBA melted down when I broke the story that uh, uh, Derek Fisher had sold out the NBA Players Association and, and had basically, uh, <laughs> you know, was working for David Stern and the whole, and everybody got upset with me. 
And then Billy Hunter ended up suing Derek Fisher for exactly what I was talking about. I'm not saying this lightheartedly. I'm not saying this to be controversial. And it's, it's, I, get, I know I've moved mostly away from journalism, but occasionally I do it. Mm. And occasionally I talk to people that put me well ahead of the conversation. And so I get no one else is talking about this because no one else either has the balls, wants the heat to say what they know about Josh Allen because he's been so successful. They don't want it to blow up in their face or, or they're connected to his agent, perhaps want access to him, perhaps. And so there may be plenty of reasons why an Adam Schefter or whomever you're alleging should be saying this or doing this other than me. There may be reasons. I don't care about any of I don't. I don't care about his agent. I don't care about being friends with Josh Allen. I don't need access to Josh Allen. I'm sharing what I know. Josh Allen, the reputation in that locker room among his peers is he don't put the work in like these other elite quarterbacks, and people are frustrated about it. Well, right now, things are good. But over the course of this season, if this dude don't deliver, there's going to be problems in Buffalo. I, you know, I will take you at face value. I'll believe what you say because I believe this. Your quarterback, no matter what the level, they have to be the first guy in, last guy out. And if they are not, they should not be your quarterback. That's the biggest issue with Kyler Murray, right? When, when they had to put in a clause that he had to get off his Atari 2600 or his ColecoVision, that wouldn't be my quarterback. That's not the guy I'm giving a quarter of a billion dollars to. But in defense of Josh Allen, he's been productive. So you're saying now, come January, he's got to go somewhere. You know what? I, I don't disagree. I do not disagree with that, Jason. Steve, I'm going to ask you a question that you won't expect coming from me, and I don't remean, I don't remean it in any way disrespectfully, and, and, and everybody, you know, I love you, and I love you regardless of whatever the, the response to this is. But if I were talking about a black quarterback, would you be questioning me as strongly as you are about Josh Allen? I would be questioning you if you were saying something about a quarterback that was as productive as Josh Allen. If that said black quarterback was producing 5,000 yards passing every single year, basically, and throwing over 40 touchdowns, I'd be like, wait a minute. Hold on. The results speak for themselves. Really? Because I, I hold Josh Allen in very high esteem. But, uh, but I have gone on the record. I thought he regressed last year. I didn't like his game. I really did. I thought there were times that, number one, my old guy, Ken Dorsey, I thought he got too pass happy. I did not like the way they didn't run the ball at times. The red zone efficiency actually has cost them. They're not very good. But my biggest problem with Josh Allen, he plays like a tight end sometimes. I've said that on various shows. I actually think last year, even though cosmetically it looked good, I thought it was not as good as he needed to be. But the overall production the last four years, that says right there, you get a little protection from the old Kimster. If you consistently have a baseline of 5,000 yards and 40-plus touchdowns, I'm going to be like, you know what? That guy's putting in some work. That's the reality. He's certainly having a lot of success, and I certainly don't think he's doing it without putting any work in. But, but again, sometimes you can be so talented. Talent can be a curse, 
And, and again, that's why I think Tom Brady had so much success B- being a sixth or seventh round pick and not being some freak of nature like a Cam Newton. And, 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 and I'll say this, it's like when people started, and I was one of the leaders questioning like, hey, Cam Newton's mechanics aren't improving. Cam Newton is, keeps relying on that running game and the NFL is going to catch up with him. And, and I just think Josh Allen may be a replica of Cam Newton. Oh, no. Super freakish athlete. No. Super freakish athlete. And again, th- their, their peaks may be different. Josh Allen as a passer is going to peak at a higher level th- than, than Cam Newton. But is he blessed with so much talent that he feels like he can cut corners that well, a Joe Burrow, a Patrick Mahomes, a Tom Brady, even an Aaron Rod- They don't cut those corners, and does it cost him in the postseason I'm telling you, that's the prevailing sentiment in that Buffalo locker room. Jason, there's a difference. I don't think Josh athletically is at the the apex of Cam Newton. He's actually evolved much better inside the pocket. He has. Because, again, you don't go from the throwing percentage at Wyoming to now becoming a guy that's in the mid-60s in the National Football League. Okay, now. Here's what I'll say about the Wyoming thing. Here's what I – I don't know who was coaching him at Wyoming. I mean, seriously. Uh, who, who knows what that throwing percentage was? If he's playing at a Power 5 school with the highest-paid coaches, he's playing at Alabama w- with their coaching staff, maybe that percentage is 78%. He's playing at Wyoming. And, and yeah, I say it, that, I'm gonna be, I want to be careful. I want to be careful because I don't want to out anybody, but I've seen some mid-major coaches that destroy quarterbacks, talented ones. They might, but generally, if you are an inaccurate passer in college, it translates to the next level. Very few guys have actually gotten better the way Josh Allen did. Another thing I didn't like about Josh Allen last year, because I watched a lot of Buffalo Bill games, there's got to be a comes a time where he's just got to be able to pick up the loose chain, dump it down into the flat outlet. There's too many times he forced the ball down the field, and I said that's a bad decision. And there's certain Not times. Not a student just throw, of the game, Steve. Well, or maybe it's just again. That's where I do have some doubts. Maybe, maybe you're right. But you know, last year you said a certain quarterback by the name of Joseph Burrow that he wasn't it anymore, that he wasn't focused on football. You know, just that was my opinion. Okay, okay. That was my opinion. Okay, this is I'm not basing this off of opinion. Hmm. We shall I'm basing it off of what I've learned from people that who who should know. Okay, well, Josh Allen is now Josh Allen's now on the spot. We got our eye on him. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens right, after me, he goes 5,000 yards, 40 touchdowns. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens in January. I get it. I get it. January. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and I hope, because, again, they say there's peace there now, and everybody's on the right page, and the message has been sent, and everybody in there knows what message got sent. And so maybe it'll work out. But there's been some pressure applied on Josh Allen by Stefan Diggs, in my view, from what I've learned, and everybody in that locker room is appreciative of that pressure being put on him. Uh, let me move on. Uh, Dan Levitard uh, has a warning for Skip Bayless uh, about this team they've surrounded Skip Bayless with at FS1. Uh, let's watch the clip. I think Skip Bayless has pioneered 
that he is the greatest hater of this toxic age of judging the hell out of the athletes. Hey, LeBron, yeah, second place all time. You, you choker. He is the face of this. And what he has decided to do, and this part's fascinating to me, every athlete he's been killing and crushing for 20 years sits next to him now, and they want the mic. And they want the ball. Michael Irvin's in trouble. Michael Irvin's competitive. That's three generations of the loudest loudmouth in football. Three of them. Keyshawn, Richard Sherman, and Michael Irvin. Holy shit. Skip, they're going to take your show. Hmm. I 1,000% agree with Lebatar. And I think I've... I think I've even told you this in private. I know I've been having this discussion with others that like, I don't think Michael Irvin's going to be the driving force of it. I do think he's going to get swept up in the energy of Keyshawn and Richard Sherman. And they are going to say, and, and then I just read today that Josina Anderson is going to be a part of the team. And maybe we discovered that earlier. They're going to create an energy around Skip where they do uh, take that show from him. I've said this from the beginning. This is like that team with five all-stars on it and only one basketball, and, and nobody wants to be Draymond Green. And that is an issue. And I've noticed the last two days, Michael Irvin has not been in studio. Maybe that's the schedule. And they've actually today, I, I woke up and I turned it on. They had, and maybe they're streamlining it. Maybe this was the plan to begin with. They're now having one-on-one segments where a Keyshawn will be directly across from uh, skip and that's it. So maybe sometimes they would believe more, uh, less is more, right? But Jason, and again, I'm completely biased. That show is not the same without the showmaker, Michael Irvin. It's not. When Michael's there, there's an energy, there's an entertainment value, and it's fun. And this is not a knock on Sherm or Keyshawn. They're fine, they're solid, they're really good complementary players, but it's that man. He is like the new Reggie Jackson. He's the straw that stirs the drink. The bigger issue is that in too many segments, no matter who's on, Skip is now just the moderator. That's not supposed to be his role. I don't think he wants that. I don't think he wants to be the traffic cop. He wants to be the sports car. He wants to be the guy that makes the headline, not just the guy passing off the baton. I think that's the greater issue. But again, I'll say it again. Michael Irvin is the funnest part of that show. When he's not on it, I'm not inclined to watch. I think the issue that Lebatard's getting at, that I agree with, and 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 it is, and I'm arguing, he's the least interesting person on his show by yes. far. I saw I saw a clip of them talking about. Uh, receivers catching the ball with their hands or catching it with their bodies. And Richard Sherman got in an argument with Michael Irvin and Keyshawn about it. And I'm telling you, and it sounds trivial, but I was like, man, this is interesting. Look at these great players argue about this. And I was sitting there like, oh, I can't wait to see what this person said, this person said. It was fascinating. And the one thing I wanted, and it, it ran across my mind, is like, man, I hope Skip don't jump in here and say anything. Because <laughs> I, literally, I was just thinking that. because and it's not some animus I had towards Skip. It's just like, what does he know in comparison to this trio about what they're arguing about? And I can't 
find this kind of conversation right. on sports TV anymore. Everything, someone's racist or everything is, you know, and so it was just fun watching NFL players have a passionate discussion about something in football. And, and it just, it, it was the first time I was like, whoa, Skip's irrelevant on his own show. And, and he's going to struggle, particularly during football season, to be anywhere near as interesting yeah. as those other guys as he is. And he, he can determine what they talk about and all that stuff. And he may lead them in the topics. But I'll be wanting to hear those guys, not just even on the topic they're on, but I may be like, man, this topic don't even work for those guys. It's, it's directed towards Skip. And I'd just rather hear Richard Sherman, Michael Irvin, and Keyshawn Johnson talk football stuff. Yeah, and by the way, about that whole body catching thing, Michael specifically meant when he's running in routes, when the bang eight, stuff like that, when there's violent people coming at his head, he's basically saying, give yourself some armor. That's what he specifically meant. Got to stick up for my guy here. But you're right. If you were to tell me that those three would just do like a barbershop conversations type of show and, the, and you bring up a topic and these guys just start riffing, I would actually find it interesting as long as Michael is the centerpiece of it. I'm Again, I have my biases. I'm with you. But Michael is the fun guy. Michael is the nucleus. He's the gentle. You know what they said about Michael Irvin? The greatest compliment he was ever given as a football player, I think it was from Nate Newton. I read one of those books, and I think it was from Skip Bayless. And Nate Newton and some other players said, Michael Irvin is probably not our best player, although he's one of them. He may not be in terms of like his greatness, maybe the greatest ever. But Nate Newton said, man, I tell you what the value of Michael Irvin is, is that when we're in a big game in a locker room and all of us are nervous, throwing up, sweating, we all just look at Mike and the way he is and we're like, ooh, okay, that guy's on our side. We're good. That's what Mike, like they literally, people will tell you, and I know people that worked on the support staff, the value of Michael Irvin was the emotion and the confidence he brought. That anytime in a tough moment, you said to yourself, man, we got 88. We're okay. And, and to me, on when he's at his best as a television personality is when he could just riff. Let him take over the show. The problem is, I think it would be okay. I actually think the show wouldn't, would be better for Skip if there was one less person. I almost think with three NFLers, I agree with you and Levitard. He's completely overshadowed. No, no, no. The issue that Levitard's getting at, though, is what's going to happen. Even right. in these small doses and even in the one-on-one, the audience isn't going to be sitting there, hey, what's better for Skip? They're going to be sitting there, what's better for me? And it's more of these athletes that they can be interesting and a different host playing oh. a different role. And part of what I think the, the other shoe Levitard didn't drop there is, is just keep in mind, Lebetard is relatively tight with Nick Wright. And so when I hear Lebetard's comments, I hear, someone's, I hear someone telling Lebetard, Nick Wright, I should be hosting that show, not Skip Bayless. Yeah, you know, okay, so I have to ask you a question. So when you were doing Speak for Yourself, I, I will never call it Speak. <laughs> oh, God. But anyway, so when you had... Marcellus Wiley, who had a really good NFL career, and then you would bring on other athletes like TJ, who's your Mazzulli, um, you know, Seth Joyner, 
whoever it was. Ray Lewis, Seth Joy, Ray yeah. Lewis. Jim Jackson, so yeah. How did you make sure that you weren't Skip Bayless? How did you balance that? Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep it a thousand percent. I'm far more entertaining, more provocative, have more interesting opinions than Skip Bayless. That, 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 and any of those athletes that I was surrounded by. I, I, you know, the, my opinions are more provocative and more interesting. Those are just facts. Yeah. Skip Bayless, you know, goes on TV and says, I hate LeBron James. I go on TV and explain the problems with LeBron James and, you know, connect them to larger cultural issues and things like that. I, you know, skip, going on TV every day and saying, hey, I love Tim Tebow is, yeah. is different than connecting him to a larger cultural issue. And, you, and so, again, I, I don't have a problem. And, and the other thing is, Steve, watch this show and watch Speak for Yourself. I don't have a problem when you, an athlete or anybody, says something more interesting than me. I'll fall back and, and say, oh, wow, that's a great point, and help you make it even a better point or probe you for information. Uh, and But that's not Skip's gimmick. Yeah. He, he's not a facilitator. He's supposed to be a shot maker. And I, I just, you know, I, I hate to be this arrogant, but I'm a shot maker <laughs> and a facilitator. Uh, it's, it's, I'm a rare breed. So go ahead. You know, modesty has never been one of your weaknesses, Whitlock. I will give you that. <laughs> just keeping it real. Here's another thing that I have an issue with, and it just makes me roll my almond-shaped eyes. I happened to see one segment where they brought in on Zoom some rapper, young something, young Beezy, Wheezy, or Little, or one of those guys, and they're asking him about sports, and I'm thinking, you know, okay, I get it. Little Wayne is a personal friend of yours. He did the theme song. I don't remember Roy Firestone bringing on Cool Modi or Curtis Blow to talk about the Knicks in the 80s when I'm watching Up Close, which, by the way, I did that every day for about seven years of my life. But I, I just remember, like, why is Young, whatever his name is, talking to me? I think it was about the Cowboys or something. It's, it's that. They're trying too hard. They're trying, to, They're trying to make Skip interesting and not be 70 years old. And so let's decorate him with rappers. And, you know, he's, he's the cool 70-year-old guy at the rap concert. There are no cool 70-year-old people at the rap concert. It, it's an impossibility. But it, it's, it's a gimmick. It, again, when, when you're, and I'm not trying to beat up on Skip. I'm just talking facts. It, in this, if you're not that provocative or interesting, you know, they got to do other things to dress you up. I just, and by the way, I, I rarely agree with Dan Levitard, but his overall point, it is hard to disagree with. He is being eclipsed on his own show. I felt from the beginning, we talked about this a few days ago, Jason, I thought four was a little bit too much. By the way, they need to get a bigger table. Those are big guys. Can we, can we like get a little, that have to be like the last supper. Let's get a bigger table. But I, I have noticed that today they did try to do more one-on-one -on -one segments. By the way, Rachel Nichols came aboard today to talk a little basketball. So they got some uh, diversity there. So anyway, it's, it's, again, these shows evolve, Jason. You know that. <laughs> Things change in television. He, he's not mean-spirited, but he's surrounded by sharks.
And trust me, mm-hmm. Richard Sherman, no matter what he says to collect that check, he don't like Skip Bayless, doesn't think Skip belongs on that platform. Keyshawn Johnson, the same thing. Michael actually probably likes Skip Bayless because yeah. Michael likes everybody. Michael's just a ball of positive energy. Uh, and I'm not bad-mouthing any of those guys. I, it's just like Levitar said. They're competitive. They're athletes. They want the money. They want the fame. They're, they're going to pick up right where Shannon Sharp left off. Shannon Sharp tried to uproot Skip out of that chair and off that show, or at least diminish his importance to that show. And, and to some degree, he may have done that. And they, these vultures may just come in and clean up uh, the rest of Shannon's work and they'll have Nick Wright in there hosting that show next football season. That would be my prediction. Well, at least you have a guy that, that will just <laughs> bloviate all day about Patrick Mahomes instead of Baker Mayfield. To me, maybe that's an improvement, <laughs> but I'm, I'm being dead serious. If you actually did a show with those three NFL guys and you said, hey, barbershop conversation is, it, it actually sounds like it might be pretty interesting as long as they have the showmaker. Thank you, Steve. Got to go. We'll play some tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow.